listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Men and women have quite a few unique characteristics, right? Like men and women, absolutely. You know, very rarely are you going to come across a woman who, who wants to be known as rugged. Very rarely will you probably ever come across a man who, who wants to be known as cute. <laughs> men and women are different. Uh, as a matter of fact, this morning, uh, I was getting dressed I could not find my brown belt, okay? And I've been missing my brown belt all week, and it's, and it's like, it's hard, because it's like my whole wardrobe. I didn't realize how much my whole wardrobe was tied to my brown belt. I could hardly wear anything to find, but I've had the same brown belt for, I don't know, I don't even know how long. I've had it since college, okay? It's been over a decade. And I was just thinking, man, you know, guys can have one belt for 13 years and until they lose it, right? Women, you can have 17 belts in that time frame and like wear 15 of them one time before you donate them on to Goodwill, right? Like men and women are very different. At the same time, we have a lot of similarities, a lot of similarities. And one thing that every man and woman wants to be seen as, every single adult in this room, you want to be seen as secure. Of course you do. No one wants to be insecure. And in this series, in 2 Thessalonians, we're, we're going through this entire letter. And much of what Paul has said up to this point has centered around the end times. It's been, he's been, you know, covering this other letter that was written because they were rattled. Um, from this false teaching that had come from this letter. They, they were rattled. They had lost their peace of mind. And as we now dip into this third chapter here, the last chapter of this second letter, Paul is turning a corner. He's not going to talk about the Antichrist anymore. And he's done talking about that other letter with false teaching that shook them up. And now he is just focusing on the truth. And the truth that you're going to see this morning will not only eliminate insecurity from your life, but these same truths will also enable you to stand firm. And it's through two things. Through the love of God and through the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. So I'm calling this message Heart, Spirit, and Soul. And what we're, gonna about, and what we're about to read is going to reveal the two deepest needs of the human heart, it's going to identify the two greatest needs of the human spirit. And it's even going to highlight the two core needs of the human soul. Heart, spirit, and soul. So please follow along with me as I read the text, starting in chapter 2, verse 13. We've already read it once, and we're going to read it again, and maybe a few more times as we go through this passage. But verse 13. But we all ought always... To give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 
To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope, through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men, for not all have the faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So the two deepest needs of the human heart, what are they? Well, you could say a lot of things. You're probably thinking one thing that might be coming to your mind uh, right about now is, is the word love. We all need love, right? But as Tim Keller once said, love without truth is sentimentality. Truth without love is harshness. Now, we're going to bounce around these verses that I just read for you today. And in Paul's letter here, he does a lot of this. This truly is a letter that, that, is, that is deep. It's not just a step-by-step argument or anything like that. Uh, but he's really saying two things today. He's saying, pray for us. So he's asking them to pray for himself, for Silas, and for Timothy. You know, we looked at that in the very first sermon in this series. And he's making this point to find security through the love of God and the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. So that's not in your own strength. You're not finding your security in yourself. You're not finding your security in your dad or your mom. This security isn't in this image of who you want to be someday. And he's definitely not talking about lifting yourself up from your own bootstraps and becoming strong and independent. I'll show you one more time where this is all headed. It's chapter 3, verse 5. If you haven't already caught this. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So there's not going to be any surprises this morning. That's exactly where we're going. But how do we get that? First of all, the two deepest needs of your heart. They are not just found in any wishy-washy version of love that feels good to you. It's found in grace and truth. Grace and truth. Look at verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God shows you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Belief in the truth. And then verse 16. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope, through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. So the two deep needs of the human heart are grace and truth. And the truth is so very important. How do you know the truth? This is where a lot of people go wrong, right here. 
they think in and of themselves they can somehow find truth. I can define my own truth. This, this sounds good to me. This feels good to me. So this must be true. But just step back and think about that. Why can't truth solely come from you? Well, we're fallen for one thing, right? Don't we, we change our minds a lot, right? <laughs> we don't know everything. And there's a lot of people who think differently than us. Let's be honest. There's a lot of different ideas out there. So there has to be an objective source of truth that's outside of yourself. Otherwise, you can have your truth, and I can have my truth, and they can have their truth. Only we have a problem because when two quote-unquote truths contradict one another and they butt heads, one of them is right and one of them is wrong. They can't both be true. And, and in our world today, we see this conflict all the time, right? Well, I can do this. I should be able to do that and say that. Or, you know, we're all adults here and we're going to consent. And, oh, it's okay. This person may be a minor, but, like, what if they're okay with it? And I feel like they should be fine with it. It's a messed up world, right? It gets really destructive really fast when everybody just lives by their own truth. What if your truth is I think this race of people needs to be eliminated from the earth? And you have a world war, right? Like, there's a lot of bad ideas. And you can only find the truth from a source outside of yourself. A source from God who created this world and who is truth. So he reveals truth to us. It's very important to see how, how, the, how important that truth is. It's the foundation. But if you are saved today, it's because you have been chosen by God through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Truth is exclusive. It's not inclusive. Not every faith is true. You are saved by belief in the truth. And what truth is that? Well, let's look again in verse 14. Verse 14 says, To this he called you, through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So one of your needs is the truth, and the truth, of the, the truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want security, that's where you have to start. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is that? Jesus was, wasn't his God, and he became man. He took on human flesh, lived in this earth, a sinless, perfect life, and then he went to the cross to sacrifice himself for the punishment of sin that you deserve. He took your sin upon himself, and then he died for your sin, and if you trust him by faith, he gives you his righteousness. That's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing about truth is that it always rises to the top. Always does. I don't know how many of you realize this or not. Maybe some of us don't even want to think about it. But um, I, I, I hesitate to even bring this up. But I'm not going to try to be controversial at all. No one really wants to think about the COVID vaccine anymore, right? Like, it's just not talked about very much. It's kind of funny how that worked out. Like, that's all everybody could talk about for like a year, right? 
Like there were so many things going on with that, so many confusing things going on. And I know a lot of us want to block out that period of our life. But many of our authorities, people who were supposed to have our best interests in mind, shouted at people for months and months and months. The vaccine is safe, and if you and if you it'll prevent you from getting COVID. Okay, that's what everybody was told. Everybody's got to do it. And if you don't, you're endangering everyone else. Um, that alone should cause some pause, you know. Well, if you're safe after taking it, why do you care about what I do with my body? You know, why am I being vilified for not wanting to do what, what you're willfully doing? But it's not even, I know I'm getting into a, an area that's making people a little uncomfortable, but don't miss my point here. It's not even a controversial statement anymore to say that the experimental mRNA product that was a, pro a product of Project Warp Speed, that it wasn't what it was told. It, it, it didn't turn out to be what we were told it was going to be. You know, of course, there's a thousand layers to this, but at the end of the day, the goalposts changed so many times, and people still did get COVID even after having the vaccine. So I'm really trying to say. So what really happened eventually, as much as people spun a story, as much as information came out there that wasn't really accurate, people didn't really know what they were talking about, as much noise that was around that, here we are a couple years later, and we know what it was. And it's not even a controversial statement. Like, we know what it did. And the truth came out. Because the truth always rises to the top, and that's the point I'm trying to make. The truth is always going to come out. It will never die. So here's the hope that we have. By the grace of God, the truth always rises to the top. And grace is such a beautiful word. We all need grace. I think we should go over this again because we can never go over it enough. Grace and mercy. We sung about it this morning, right? Biblically speaking, what is grace? We know it's a great feeling, a great idea. But grace is when someone gives you something that you do not deserve. Mercy is when someone does not give you something that you actually deserve. The mercy and grace, it's in the gospel, right? What did we deserve as sinners against a, a holy, righteous God? We deserve death. We deserve punishment from that. But it's by God's mercy that he didn't give us death. Instead, he gave us grace. He gave us something we, we had no business earning. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But he gave us Christ's righteousness. He gave us a relationship with him. He gives us eternal life. We didn't deserve that. We were far from God when he sought us and saved us. So every human heart needs grace and truth. We, we need both of those things. There's a show that I watched this year. Um, I don't usually give you the name of the shows, but like I'll go ahead and just say it was, it's called Andor. It's a sci-fi drama. Uh, some of you saw the show. I, I don't think enough people watched the show. Uh, it kind of flew under the radar. But if you, if you did see the show, you'll know at its core... It's about finding yourself in a cause that is bigger than yourself. And the backdrop to all of that is actually surrounded by how a revolution begins. How, like, wh why, does, why do the common everyday people rise up against an 
authoritarian government regime. And, and so in this show, there's the main character and then there's a side character. And the main character comes along, you know, on his path, he comes along this, this other character. And, uh, and this guy influenced him a lot. He wrote a manifesto called The Trail of Political Consciousness. And I'm going to read you an excerpt from that because even though this is from a TV show about rising up against a totalitarian, totalitarian regime, what it says is a masterful description of exactly what we, what we mean when we say truth always rises to the top. So here it is. There will be times when the struggle seems impossible. I know this already. Alone, unsure, dwarfed by the scale of the enemy. Remember this. Freedom is a pure idea. It occurs spontaneously and without instruction. Random acts of insurrection are occurring constantly throughout the galaxy. There are whole armies, battalions, that have no idea that they've already enlisted in the cause. Remember that the frontier of the rebellion is everywhere. And even the smallest act of insurrection pushes our lines forward. And then remember this. The imperial need for control is so desperate because it is so unnatural. Tyranny requires constant effort. It breaks. It leaks. Authority is brittle. Oppression is the mask of fear. Remember that. And know this. The day will come when all these skirmishes and battles, these moments of defiance, will have flooded the banks of the empire's authority, and then there will be one too many. One single thing will break the siege. Remember this. Try. And what he's saying there is brilliant and it's true. Freedom is a pure idea. We sang about, pure, about freedom as well today, right? You are free in your Savior's arms. Think about that concept. A lot of people think, if I go to Jesus Christ, I'm just going to be confined and I'm going to be restricted to do what, what this restrictive God wants me to do. And I'm not going to be free to be myself. There's freedom in the arms of Christ because he's the one who brings you security to be who he created you to be. So freedom is a pure idea. It requires constant effort to control people. There are a lot of lies. There's a lot of deception out there. But it takes so much work. And in the end, by the grace of God, he chooses us. He calls us out of darkness. And the truth will never die. It will always rise to the top. So the two deepest needs of the human heart are grace and truth. And both of those are found in the love of God and the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see here in this first point this morning is truth and grace, what do they bring? They bring freedom. Amen. They bring freedom. That's exactly what Jesus offers us in the gospel. In Galatians, where where Paul is dealing with something else. This is another letter to a different church, but there's a lot of overplay here, you know, some overlapping truth here. Um, the Galatians, they had people in their church that were making the faith rigid and formulaic. And what he said there to them fits perfectly with this, Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Before you knew Jesus, before the, you received the gospel, you know what the Bible teaches about your, your former life? 
Some of you may be there today. It's slavery. You're enslaved to your own passions and your own desires. It's called the slavery of sin. And for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So to those Christians in that church at Thessalonica, Paul was also saying, hey, don't make our faith some restrictive, confined thing where you have to, like, dot all your I's, cross all your T's, and check every box and and be this perfect cookie-cutter image of what you're supposed to be. No, he's given you freedom. And it's wrong for authority to come in and confine you and, and to repress you into the image they, they want you to be. Be who God created you to be. Find your freedom in Christ. Your heart needs grace and it needs truth. And they both bring freedom. Don't submit yourself to someone else's warped applications of scripture and submit again to another yoke of slavery. That's point one. Here's point two. The two greatest needs of the human spirit. We talked about the heart. Let's talk about the human spirit. What do you think those are? The two greatest needs of the human spirit. Well, the answer to that question isn't as obvious in the text, but it's still here nonetheless. To be secure, confident, and bold, you really need two things. You have to know your true identity, who you really are, in Christ, and you need to have a purpose. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about right here in these next couple verses, verses 13 and 14. Look at him again of chapter 2. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to God because he chose you. He saved you through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. And to this he called you so you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. How's that for an identity? There's your identity right there if you know Jesus Christ. But it doesn't just end with with that. Verse 16 and 17, he gives us comfort. He gives us hope. In verse 17, he comforts our hearts and establishes them in every good work and word. So remember that. Okay. There's something else I'm doing with this identity, right? What am I doing with this, new, this newfound identity that I have? I have a word to share. I have a new work. And then Paul says in chapter 3, he says these two things. Pray for us. Even Paul was asking this church to lift him up in prayer. He needed their prayers. And he also talks about how everyone doesn't, not everyone, has the faith. And even though this isn't your most standout, obvious text on evangelism, it's implied right here in the text. Don't you see it? You have been given a mission. Look with me again at chapter 3. Pray for what? That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. How is the word of the Lord going to speed ahead? How, how, is it, how does the word of the Lord, how does this gospel go from you to someone else? Well, obviously, you're the one who's talking about it. It's the only way. So what's your identity? Your identity is you're a child of God. What's your new purpose? 
It's to share the love of God. The two greatest needs of the human spirit are belonging and mattering. Having a community, having a cause. And we have both of those things in Jesus Christ. Belonging and mattering. There are a lot of people who find community and cause in other things. You can go to the next slide there, belonging and mattering. But a lot of people try to find this in work. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having that in your work. To have a common goal, to provide a good or a service, you know, that's fulfilling, that's satisfying in its proper place. And to do that with others, you know, and to pour grace and truth into others as you do this and you shine your light for Christ, how incredible is that? I was talking with a member of our church on Wednesday night at one of our summer life group mixers, and I'm not going to share his name just, just to be safe, but he was talking about how he's in this new job, and He's in the management side of things, and the management is not great, okay? It's not good. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of problems going on with the people who don't even understand, like, how to, how to simply, like, follow instructions and listen to authority. And, you know, it's just a huge mess, a lot of, a lot of problems, a lot of needs. And this, and this friend of mine who I was talking to was just like, you know what? I'm just so glad I'm there. Because I have an opportunity to show these people Christ. He looked at it as a ministry opportunity. He already saw that. And I didn't even have to tell him. He was already thinking that. Like, I love that. But we all have these opportunities in our places of work if we just open up our eyes and look for them. Instead of just focusing on the problems. So you can, you can find belonging and mattering in your work. And you can hopefully do that, um, and you can hopefully have community there. That's what God intends, and he's gifted you to roll up your sleeves and accomplish a task and get a job done with others. That glorifies God. But if your work is it, and that's the only community and cause that you have, well, that's a problem. If it's just about getting this job done and making a bunch of money or punching this clock so I can have a stable life so I can, like, you know separate my nine to five over here and then go have a whole bunch of fun on the weekend and I'm just living for the weekend, you're missing the heart behind it all. Your work can't just be a simply an end to a means. It's not just a clunk, you know, to punch out the clock and get through the drudgery as fast as possible so then you can relax and do what you really want to do. If that's, your, if that's your mindset on your work, you're missing the opportunities that God has right in front of you. You can actually have belonging and mattering there when you center it around the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing your faith and making a difference there with your attitude and your spirit. Where else can you find belonging and mattering? You can find it in a hobby. You can find it in a sport. And again, great things if they're in the right place. But at the end of the day, winning even a sporting event is not going to satisfy your heart, spirit, and soul forever. You could win the Super Bowl and it's not going to satisfy you forever. Most of us in this room have probably heard the phrase, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah? <laughs> 
It was a very popular phrase in America for a few decades. It even made it into the Richard Nixon campaign in the 60s. But does anyone know where that quote, that statement first came from? The phrase was popularized by a football coach named Red Sanders, who started saying it to his college football teams in the early 1950s. And it got a lot of publicity when he was quoted as saying that right before the UCLA versus USC uh, Rose Bowl in 1955. He said it in an interview to Sports Illustrated, and that phrase just took off. Americans love that. Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. You got to get that dramatic pause in there right before that one, right? There's, there's been generations of young men, young women who, who live by that. But you know why I, I venture to guess no one knew that phrase? Did anyone know that phrase came from Red Sanders? Did anyone know that name at all? Okay, okay, one person. Yep, you're good. Good job, man. I'm glad we had one sports enthusiast in here. Most of us don't know Red Sanders. He only made it, he was a good coach. He only made it to two Rose Bowls, and he lost both Rose Bowls. So the guy who said winning isn't everything, it's the only thing, most of us have completely forgotten him because he made his life all about winning a game that he didn't win, right? <laughs> We're living for something bigger than a football game. Your life is bigger than your job, okay? You're living for Jesus Christ if you know him. Amen. And having a drive to win is great. Working hard, coming together for a common cause, fabulous experience. But whether it's work or sport or art, though all those things are good gifts in and of themselves, they can never take the place of the giver of those good gifts. You can't let that happen. So the two greatest needs of the human spirit are belonging and mattering. And what do you get when you put belonging and, and living in community together with mattering and, and having a cause that is greater than yourself? You get purpose. That's what you get. People without a purpose are rudderless ships being tossed to and fro on an endless ocean of waves. And life will hit you hard. I talked to two different people came in today. It's like, man, life, yes, how are you doing? It's been, it's, been a, it's been one of those months. You know what I mean? A lot of us are there. It's an endless ocean of waves. Like, it, you're going to get, you're going to drown if you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't have a purpose that's bigger than just surviving. Okay. Sure, you can find temporary joy and satisfaction in your spirit through other things, but all of those things are just an image or a shadow. They're all lesser compared to the purpose you've been given in verse 14. Look at it again. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about something supernatural and eternal here. This isn't for mere mortals. If you're in Christ, you have a greater purpose with your life than you had before you knew Christ and what everyone else doesn't have when they don't know Christ. For your spirit to thrive, you need to have community and a cause, belonging and mattering. And when you find that in Jesus, you have ultimate purpose. Point three today steps right into this. The two core needs of the human soul. All right. 
want more of this, right? Here's, here's the last point. Look back at chapter 3, verse 3 with me. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Every human soul needs to be established and guarded. Isn't that what parents do for their children? They guard them from evil. They protect them from the lies and the deception of the world. They teach them how to think, how to view the world from a biblical perspective with with Christ at the center. That's what Christian parents should be doing. That's, That's our main goal. But there's two ways that this can go wrong. You can either stifle a child and just control them. You can enslave them with your overbearing grip. And if you do that, I mean, they, on the surface, they can look fine for a little while. Your, may, your child may even come across as compliant and well-mannered, you know, with that approach for a little while. But if you never give that child any freedom, you never give that child any room to make their own decisions and face, face the consequences of those decisions, what's going to happen to that child? They're going to be very insecure, They won't develop to the point that they can make hard decisions and push forward. They will be scared and they will be dependent on you, which is not going to help them when they're an adult. So that's a terrible way to parent. Either they will become a shell of themselves and they'll never find their own personality. They will live in your shadow their whole life. Or they will just rebel. And say, get out of here. I'm going to live my own life. That's what happens when you have overbearing, controlling parenting. The other flip side of this, the other approach, the the other extreme approach of parenting is you don't give them any attention at all. Just an absent parent. Yes, let them figure it out. You're too selfish, really, living your own life, doing your own thing to take the time necessary to pour into your own child. So when, when you do this, when you're absent, you give them all the freedom they want, no structure, no instruction at all, what happens? Well, they get angry. They get bitter. They rebel. They're insecure because they've never felt that love. They, they, they don't really even know who loves them if they're not getting that from their parent first. So over-controlling parenting creates weak, sheltered, scared kids who eventually rebel or just never find their place or purpose. Absentee parenting creates angry, bitter kids who also rebel and struggle to find their place and purpose. You can either give Not enough freedom, or you can give too much freedom. And the result is the same, insecurity. So what every child needs is a parent who will pour into them and establish them. Bring out their strengths. Identify who they are. You know, here's your weaknesses. Let's work on that. Someone who will guard them from evil until they are strong enough to stand firm on their own and do the same for someone else. 
And I know this is a tough illustration for probably a lot of us in this room. Because you're hearing some of this and it's maybe even triggering, but we got to go there and talk about it anyway. This is something, again, that a lot of us have in common. You have parents who do things or don't do things that create insecurity. Some of this stuff is way too familiar for you. So what do we need? We need grace. We need truth. Our parents need grace. We need grace. And even if you don't get this grace from a physical family, you can get it from a spiritual family. But even more sure than that, even if you haven't received it from your earthly father, you can receive it from your heavenly father. Look at verse 5 with me again. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And here we are, full circle, right where I told you we were going. So what this entire message has all been about. When you are standing firm in the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ, insecurity is over. There is no place for insecurity when you know the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ establishes your heart, spirit, and soul. And even if humans fail you, God never fails. He gives grace. And he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Worship team, you can come up right now. Uh, John 10, 10, 28 says this. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. and No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. How's that for security? You can be bold. You can be confident just knowing the love of God and the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. That's where it all, that's where it all comes from. The two deepest needs of the human heart are grace and truth. They equal freedom. The two greatest needs of the human spirit are belonging and mattering. They equal purpose. The two core needs of the human soul are being established and guarded. And it equals love. Love. So in closing, I have two questions for you. Do you want this freedom and this purpose? Do you really want this confident assurance that eliminates insecurity? Where does it come from? The love of God and the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. God loved you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And the whole purpose of all of that was to create an eternal never-ending relationship with you, the creator to his creation. He desires to lift you up, to fulfill you, to satisfy you. The longings, the deepest longings of your heart, spirit, and soul are only found in him. You have been given eternity in your heart, Ecclesiastes says. 
So you're not going to be satisfied with getting the job done right or winning the sports tournament or playing that instrument amazingly or even making an amazing piece of art. Now, yeah, you can reflect the glory of God in all of those things that I just mentioned, but they are an image and a shadow of our greatest gift, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, did you notice the glaring absence in this passage about finding security? What's the one thing in this passage that that is just not there at all? Said nothing about this. It was comparing your situation to someone else's. Number one insecurity causer and security breaker, looking around at everybody else, what's going on for them? (laughs) A lot of people have horrible family. Some people focus on that. They get bitter and depressed about that. And it takes them down. There's another option, though. You can look away from the people that have hurt you. And you can look to God. The love of God, the steadfastness of Christ. And when you look at him and what he has done for you, Instead of looking at that spirit of antichrist from that other person, look to Christ himself. What do you get? You get hope. You get truth. You get freedom. You get security. It doesn't matter what they said to me, really. At the end of the day, they're wrong. God is truth. He loves me. He chose me. He has a purpose for my life. And when you're just looking at other people, I tell you what. You don't see everything. We only see one little slice of it, right? You have no idea what God is doing in in the life of that person. I mean, you can look around and you can see other organizations or, you know, groups of people or individuals. They're getting blessed. Everything everything seems to be going so great for them. And they... They did this, which is completely wrong, but like, here they are, prospering. Look, we don't understand all of it. There's no way we can, but we know God does. And God is working something out in that person's journey that we have, we don't even need to worry about it. We have no no ability to to understand all of that and, and to hold all of that. So you want insecurity? You look at everyone else. You want security? Look to your almighty God. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you. I ask you just like Paul asked the church, would you pray that for me as I pray that for you? reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.